0: The other day, it seems like every time I, I do something, something from that one projects and propels the next one. So, Thursday night was a tagline off of Sunday, and Sunday morning is now a tagline off of Thursday. So, 1 Kings 2022 20, is the launching point. We're not going to be here long. It is the launching point, though. And the prophet came to the king of Israel and said unto him, Go, strengthen thyself, and mark, see what thou doest. Pay attention, see what you do, watch what you're doing. For at the return of the year, the king of Syria will come up against thee. Now, if you were here Thursday night, you heard this verse twice. This morning, we're going to start here, for it's a thought I believe that we have lost over the years. And over the years, I mean even in my lifetime, we have gotten away, we have strayed away from this thought that we're going to pursue this morning. The prophet says to that wicked king Ahab, that is how God pronounced him, that wicked king Ahab, watch what you do, for God has given you the victory, yet in one year Syria will return, and one year Ben-Hadad will return. Watch what you do in that year, remember who delivered you this day, or there will be no deliverance the next time. God's saying, I delivered you. Watch out, because I'm coming, or he's coming back. And if you want me here again, follow my word. Now, if you will remember, Ahab is an idolater. Ahab set up idols to Baal. The prophets of Baal eat at his table. And the prophet of God, Elijah, he's standing against Baal. A protagonist and an antagonist in this account. However in this verse a different prophet of God is sent and this one is not sent to stand against but to bring a message of victory a strategy from God and set a different tone. 1 Kings 20 13, and behold there came a prophet unto the king of Israel saying thus saith the Lord Hast thou seen all this great multitude? Behold, I will deliver it into thine hand this day, and thou shalt know that I am the Lord. There's an army come up against Ahab, that wicked king. God says, Ahab, have you seen that army? I have. Yes, Ahab has, in fact, seen the army, he has already been accosted by the king of the army, insulted and bullied by the king of that army that has come up. However, God says, I'm going to take care of this, that you may know that I am God. Yet Ahab already knew he was God. Ahab saw the drought and the famine that came based on the word from God. Ahab saw the fire come down at Mount Carmel when Elijah prayed saw the rain come when Elijah said God was bringing it, Ahab knew who God was already. So if Ahab did not know he was God by now, why should he believe it after this? Well, I think this is a very good representation. God was giving him every opportunity to believe, to trust, just as he does for us. God calls multiple times, not once, multiple times, and that's what he's doing for Ahab. God spoke by a prophet other than Elijah this time, thereby setting a different tone. God gives a mighty victory to an inferior force, and Ahab himself was allowed to order the battle as God told him to. Ahab knows the strategy was from God, and Ahab knows the victory was from God. So when the prophet returns to him after the victory, he says, God gave you this victory. Now, Mark, watch how you live, for they shall return. And next time, if you do not keep the God of Israel as the God, as you promised to at Mount Carmel, then when they return, God will not deliver. The God that provided the victory, the God that provided the salvation, That God has bought Ahab's life with the victory. And it now belongs to God in in, in the way that things work. When you save someone's life, they are beholden to you. That's just the way it goes. Just as that God who came to this earth suffered, bled, and died for us, and he bought us, With so great a price. He has given us the victory. So many people forget. That salvation is not without a cost. Salvation for you and I. Cost absolutely nothing but the decision. To reach out and take it. The cost. Was to God. The God of the universe came to this earth. He suffered. He bled. He died. Shed his blood that we might have life. That's the cost of our salvation. All we got to do is reach out and accept it. He paid the price for our sin. Salvation for you and I cost us absolutely nothing, but it cost God everything. But there's a concept that goes with this. Just like what they have, God gave them the victory, and then God said, "Watch how you live." God gave us the victory, but we forget to watch how we live, how we serve. First Corinthians six twenty, for ye are bought with a price; therefore, glorify God in your body and in your spirit, which are plural are God's. The body and the spirit are God's. For had Paul said, therefore glorify God in your body and in your spirit, which is God's, that would have been singular, meaning the spirit. God owns the physical and the spiritual now that you have been redeemed, bought with the price. You have been ransomed from sin. Now Paul has so much concern for this thought that he repeats it in the very next chapter. 1 Corinthians 7, and 23. For he that is called in the Lord, being a servant, is the Lord's free man. Likewise also he that is called, being free, is Christ's servant. If ye are bought with a price. Be not ye the servants of men. You are bought with a price. Be not a servant of men. You are servants of God. A servant who accepts Christ is a free man spiritually. He that is called being free becomes a servant spiritually, physically. The servant is still a servant physically, but he is a free man spiritually. The free man may be a free man physically, but his body and his spirit should be surrendered to Christ. That goes for the pew person. That goes for the lay person. That goes for the person who goes to church. That's not just the the preacher, the teacher, the, the missionary, the evangelist, the Sunday school teacher, the song leader. That's everybody who accepts Christ is a servant to Christ. We have been freed, we've been ransomed, we have been bought with a price. Now in Paul's day, this means so much more than it does in our day. In our day, slavery is no longer a major thing here in the United States and in most countries. There are still some places where slavery slavery is very, very active. So Paul is telling them to not be servants of their master but to serve as if they are serving God. Why? For in their service, they're willing go the extra mile. Please the master service, you're being a witness and a testimony of God. Same thing we're told to do at work, isn't it? Same thing we're told to do everywhere else. Be a witness, be a testimony. To the bondservant, he is telling them to be a servant to God, for they have chosen their master. They chose their life. The bondservant chooses their life. The bondservant makes their choice. You accept the gift of God. You have made your choice. And you serve as if that choice is their life the bond servant must serve if they make that choice like it's their life and it is we if we make that choice must serve as if it's our life because it is. now there are a few things to know about bond service to get the overall picture the first bond servants did not make wages no nope. Now, the household fed them, the household took care of them, but they worked for the good of the household. They worked for the good of the family. They worked for the good of the master. Bond servants were slaves who had been given their freedom. They had been given their freedom, yet they loved their master so much, they elected, rather than to go free, to live with him and be a servant to him for the rest of their life. Willingly of their own free will, they decided that. A bond servant bore the mark of their master, usually a hole all in the ear, so that all knew they were in service for life of their own free will. That's a very big choice, don't you think? Mm-hmm. Your choice to accept salvation is a lot bigger. The price paid for you was a lot bigger this is how we the Christians are to be today we are the servants of God he called we chose him therefore we must forfeit our lives our all to him as he has given his all for us all we have is his everything he created the earth the moon the stars He created the dirt, the cows, the gold, the silver. Everything we have is His. What are we doing with it for Him? This is a concept that we in the modern world have forsaken. We have decided that we want to have our eternal life, our eternal security, our eternal heaven, and we want to have our physical life and not have to do a a thing for either one. Okay, I accept it and go on about my way. That's not how this works. The bondservant loves their master so much that they choose that master and his service over being a free man. The Christian loves their master so much they chose him and his service over living in sin. It's the same thing. We do not get to go around and do whatever we want, whenever we want, however we want. That's not how it works. The God of the universe suffered bled, and died that we might have life. We are bought with a price. And that price was His suffering, His bleeding, His death on the cross. I've said it before it, and I'm going to continue to say it. The God that breathed life into the nostrils of man in the Garden of Eden, who gave us our physical life with that breath, that God came down to this earth, died, and breathed out his very last physical breath that we might have spiritual life. The Spirit of God crossed across Adam, breathed into his nostrils, he had life. The physical God came down and died that we might have spiritual life. He has done it all for us, and yet we can barely muster any effort for him. In fact, churches that preach the gospel, churches that preach this message, have dwindled in attendance. Why? Because the gospel shines a light on man that shows him who he is, who God is, and the relationship between the two. The churches that are prospering today, they're the ones that are preaching, teaching, you're okay, I'm okay. They're they're more of a uh, pep talk than a service. They're more of a motivational speaker than a preacher. They want to tell you that God loves you and he's going to bless you no matter what. Paul's writing to servants. If Paul is writing to servants in Christ, how are they healthy, wealthy, and whole? That kind of belies the whole concept, doesn't it? Mm-hmm. Nothing in the Bible bears out the prosperity uh, gospel. So get it up, give it up. It doesn't, it's not true. It doesn't work. If God wanted everyone healthy and wealthy, then why is Paul addressing the servants? Why is Paul in prison? Paul, the the man who wrote half the New Testament, why is he in prison if God wants everybody? In, healthy and wealthy. You cannot be of the Spirit of God and be of the world. And that's what the prosperity gospel teaches you that here the physical life is more important than the spiritual. The Bible doesn't teach that. The Bible says everything we do should be up there. Lay up for yourselves treasures in heaven. Now you can sin here, you can fall, you can stumble, but a true child of God will not be happy in that sin. A true child of God will not want to stay there. It's just the way it works. We are bought with a price. We are bondservants of the master. But not only are we bondservants, he's gone a step further. We are adopted into the family of God, thus making us sons and daughters of God. We need to start living for fear our Father might be disappointed in us. When you're a young kid and Dad gives you that glare, you know you did something wrong, that's enough to stop you, isn't it? It's enough to make you feel ashamed, isn't it? Mm -hmm. Christians, get back to that because God is watching you. The concept of bought with the price, living our life for another is so foreign to us today in this modern world. We are taught from a young age that it's all about us. But Christian, it is all about him, his word, his kingdom. It is all about them, the lost and the dying going to hell. Very little is actually about us in this life we live. We are bondservants. We are children of the king. We have chosen our role when we chose him. We have chosen his gift. We have accepted his sacrifice. We have been redeemed from a life of sin, ransomed and bought with the price. And it's time we start living as if a second life was his, not ours. We have chosen our master. We have chosen our servitude. Our lives are not our own. We are bought with a price. We are to work for the master. That's Jesus. We are to work for his family. We are to work for his good. We are to honor the sacrifice made for us. A life for a life. We have been ransomed with so great a price, yet we live as if we are owed something rather than what we owe Him. And we owe Him so very much. Let me repeat that. We live as if we are owed something by God, that we are owed a blessing, that we are owed a new car, that we are owed for our bills to be paid. We're not. We owe Him everything. Our debt we can never repay. He paid a price for us. Mark what you do. Let not the Father be ashamed of us. We are bond servants, and it's time we remember that. Children of the King, oh yes. But we were adopted, bought with a price, ransomed, and we have been given a purpose.